So on Christmas Eve, we wrapped up our short mini-series looking at the emotions of Jesus. And today we are returning to 1 Timothy. And if you had been tracking with us in 1 Timothy, you'll remember that this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor who is ministering in the city of Ephesus. And part of the, the charge of Timothy in Ephesus was to lay out a, a clear church structure, church government, to put in order uh, what, what was there, to rebuke those who contradicted false teaching, to teach and proclaim the gospel. And so he, he needed strength because he, they were entering a, a new time where many of the apostles were beginning to die. Paul himself would die not too many years after writing this letter. And so the church needed a strong foundation of, of the doctrine of the church, the understanding of how do you structure a local church? How do you organize a local church? What exactly is the church? That's the, the purpose of this letter. And just recapping the order of the, the ideas before, before this, leading up in the context, that the, in chapter 2, Paul talked about the, the assembled worship of the church, prayer for all types of people. And then he talked about roles of different people within the, the church, including the roles of men and women in the life of the church. And then in chapter 3, we looked at the qualifications for leaders in the church. First, the qualifications of elders, overseers in the church. And then we looked at the qualifications for deacons, these two offices within the church that Paul lays out here for us. And today, Paul is wrapping up this section about the authority of the church. And really what, what he's doing here is, is showing why it's important of what he's been saying. And what I'll read in a moment, he says that these things I've written to you, in other words, this discussion about leadership in the church, and so that we would know how to live in the household of God. And today in your bulletin, you'll see our passage printed, but we're going to be looking today just at verse 14 and 15. You see verse 16 printed there, but we'll look at that next week. Or not next week, I'll be away, but the week after that. All right, so again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that from this text, we would know how to behave in the church, that we would think of the church rightly, that we would love the church, that we would see how the church matters. Lord, help us to understand this passage. We can't understand unless you guide us by your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So people often talk about the church and different struggles of the church. Uh, it could be the, an individual church. What is an individual church struggling with? What does the church as a whole struggle with? And I think that especially when we consider American Christianity, American evangelicalism, there are many problems that we see around us in the church. But I think one of the biggest problems is a low view of the church 
among many who confess Christianity. Many people think that church attendance isn't important, that it's okay if you go seldom if ever, or even just once a month or a couple times a month. Uh, many Christians are constantly moving from one church to another church, so the, the church hopping where you're, you're just seeking uh, what you want from the church as if it's just a, a business providing a service. Uh, many people don't give, don't serve in churches. And according to LifeWay Research, 65% of Protestant churchgoers say that they can walk with God without other believers, that other believers aren't really that important, that you can, you can make it on your own. You can be the, the individual Christian, the lone Christian, uh, pulling your own way and your own weight in the world. But that shows, I think, this low view of the church that we see so often in our world today. But that is completely different from what we see in this text from 1 Timothy, that, that we see here that the church matters. The church matters deeply. And we see three reasons that the church matters here in our text. And so the first reason that the church matters is that the church is the family of God. The church is the, the family of God. Uh, look again with me in your Bible uh, there at, chapter, at verse 14. He says that I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And you look at that phrase, household of God, and the, the word in Greek is oikos. It's, it's where we get the word economy, uh, and that it comes originally from the economy of the, the household. The, the word can sometimes mean just a house, a structure. It can mean the household as a whole. It can mean the, the family quite often, and, and that's actually what we see just a, a few verses earlier in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. Paul's talking about the qualifications for elders, for overseers in the church, and he says that, that an elder must manage his own household, his own family well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if one does not know how to manage his own household, his own family, how will he care for God's church? How will he care for the family of God? And so it's right that we can think about the church as a family, and it makes sense just connected into other biblical imagery for the church that we, we think about God. God is our father, that we are adopted into the, the family of God through Jesus Christ, who is the true eternal son. But through faith in Christ, we can become sons and daughters in the household of God and that we inherit brothers and sisters in the church when we are adopted into the family of God. Uh, we automatically get brothers and sisters who also are walking with the Lord. And so I think that that's a, it's a helpful image. And it, it makes sense in a lot of ways of the, of the church because you think of the, the church. Um, of course, no family is perfect. No church is perfect. There can be conflict in families. There can be conflict in churches. And similar, if, if you have siblings you didn't choose your siblings. You maybe like your siblings, you maybe don't like your siblings, but you didn't choose them. And, and so that's often the way it is in the family of God as well, that we inherit siblings that we're called to love 
And they may not have been the people that we would have perfectly curated for our lives, but they're the people that God has put there because the church is the family of God, the household of God. So it matters as the household of God. But I think that often as modern Christians, rather than thinking of the church as a family, we tend to think of the church as a business, as an organization that's simply providing a service. Because if you think of your favorite restaurant, if they changed their menu and you didn't like the food that they were providing anymore, you would say, you know what, I'm, I don't go to that restaurant anymore. I'm just going to go somewhere else because I like the food. But I mean, imagine calling your mother on Thanksgiving and saying, sorry, mom, I really don't like your cooking that much. And I like this other family's cooking far better. And my culinary preferences are very important for me. So I'm going to opt to be part of another family today or to constantly switch which family I'm part of. I mean, obviously, if, if a family is in an abusive situation, there's times where people need to to get out. But we understand that there is this sense of, no, I'm, I'm going to be in relationship with my family because they are my family, even though there's always the, the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving or there's the difficult conversation or the difficult political uh, conversations that take place over the dinner table that yet we love and care for our family. And we know that we're going to be with them for the long haul. But that's very different than how we think about the church quite often, where we think of the church as, well, I, I have my preferences have changed, or I don't like this style or this music, or I want different programs. And so we curate a business that will provide the services that we think we need, rather than seeing it as a commitment to the family. And I'm not saying that there are never reasons to leave a church. That's something we actually talk about in our membership, membership seminar at Hope, that there are times to leave a church. There are good reasons to leave a church and to go to another church. But I think that overall, if you were going to identify a problem with the modern church, it's not that people are overly committed to churches and are unwilling to leave them when there are problems. That I think the, the bigger problem in the church that we see is that people are have a low view of the church, that people don't see the importance of the church, that they are, are too willing to simply move on when things get hard, that there isn't this sense of commitment. Yes, the church isn't perfect. But yet the church is the family of God, the household of God, and therefore the church matters. So that's our first thought here, that the, the church matters because it's the family of God, the household of God. But then second, we can say that the church matters because it is the temple of God, that it's, it's both a family and the temple of the living God. And you'll see how these verses, verses 14 and 15, it uses this building imagery for the church, that it has pillars, it has buttresses, it, it has a, a foundation. And even the word, I said the word oikos can mean family, but it can also mean uh, just a structure, a building. And quite often when it's the, the house of God, it would pull to mind the, the temple in the Old Testament. That even in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the house of God, the, the oikos of God is, is used of the temple over and over again. Because that used to be the place where people would go to worship God, to offer sacrifices, that they would go up to the temple structure in Jerusalem with all of its beauty and all of its majesty, and they would worship the Lord. And there was a sense that the holy presence of God dwells in the midst of the temple. 
and you have to approach with reverence and awe and that only the high priest could go into the most holy place and that only once a year on the day of atonement. But in the New Testament, then, we don't go up to Jerusalem to worship anymore. We don't have to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem for worship. But Jesus says to the woman at the well that the, the days are coming when those who worship will worship in spirit and in truth. That the, the worship is no longer tied to one place, one building, one location. But instead, first the, the body of Jesus becomes the true temple. Jesus says in John 2 that he would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And people say, how is that possible? And it says that he was talking about the temple of his body, that Jesus becomes the true dwelling place of God, the true Emmanuel, the true God with us. But then as we are united to Christ by faith, as we're connected to Jesus in the New Testament, then we, the people of God, become the temple in Christ, that we become the body of of Christ. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, uh, this is Ephesians 2 verse 19, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so you see what he's saying, that it's this organic temple that's being built up as the people of God. And then he says, that is who you are. That is who we are as the church. That yes, we can say that in a sense, each one of us individually are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's one reason that we talk about it. it's important to care for your physical body, your, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are a temple of the Spirit. But especially as we think about us together, the plural you, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You all are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God dwells with his church, that it's not a building, it's not a place, but it's a people. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And I think that's an interesting contrast when you, when you think about the family imagery along with the temple imagery. Because when people visit hope, I hope that they will sense that the family aspect of the church, that we are family, that we care for one another, that that just as a family needs to be hospitable, needs to invite others in, needs to be welcoming, that we want to be a church family that is welcoming, that is friendly, where no one would leave Hope Church without someone talking to them, without somebody smiling at them, someone caring for them, and that you want it to be, you want the church to be a place that is warm and inviting, like a very comfortable home and a comfortable living room. That's important. But then on the other hand, it's the church as the temple of God. And the temple is not a warm, inviting place. That when you come into the temple, there is the, the fear and the reverence and the awe that you're coming into the holy presence of God. And so in another sense, when people visit the church, they should actually feel a holy discomfort, a holy otherness, 
in the sense that, wait, the, the Spirit of God is here among these people. The Spirit of God is at work among these people. The Spirit is here. The holiness of God is being lifted up and proclaimed. And that is uncomfortable because it shows who we are in light of a holy God. Uh, but it's also wonderful and, and glorious. That is the church. And that's why the church matters, because, because it is the temple of God. And are we going to cut ourselves off from the temple of God, think that that's not important, that that's not valuable, that we can exchange it for something else? Again, the church matters because it is both the family of God and the temple of God. But then third and finally, as we look at this text, we can say that the church matters because it is a pillar and a buttress of truth. A pillar and buttress of truth. Look at verse 14. Again, it says that I hope to come to you soon. And we don't know if Paul ever did come. But he says, but I'm writing these things to you, this teaching on the, the doctrine of the church, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Now, the word pillar is pretty straightforward, both in English and in the original language, that it's the, the pillar that supports something up above. It's, it's often round. I mean, we, we, we have the image of a pillar. Uh, maybe even you memorize different kinds of Greek pillars. It's Ionian or Corinthian. I remember that from some class in college, <laughs> uh, memorizing different kinds of ancient pillars. But you think of the, the pillar, the pillars that would be in the temple in the Old Testament as well. And the image here is that the church is the pillar of truth. And so it's not that the church is the truth. But if this is the truth, you can think of the, the church then as the pillar underneath that is lifting up the truth, that is holding up the church to the world, that is lifting it up so you can see what is the truth. Oh, there it is. It's, it's being supported and lifted up by the church. So that's the, of the, the image of the pillar the buttress, though, is a little bit more obscure. It's more of an unusual word in the original language. It's defined as that which provides a firm base for something, mainstay. And then that was in the best Greek lexicon, but I thought, no one knows what a mainstay is. I don't know what a mainstay Maybe you do. I don't. <laughs> I had to look that one up. But it's interesting how other translators will translate it. Uh, the NASB, support of truth. The CSB, foundation of truth. The King James, the ground of truth. And so the image there, again, is that if, you, if this is the truth, uh, that perhaps it's the, the truth is the pillar and the buttress is keeping it from falling over in some ways. You think of the cathedrals with the flying buttress that keeps it from falling down. Or perhaps it's the foundation that the truth is the pillar that's resting on the foundation and yet that it's being held up and sustained by the church. That's the image here in the pillar and the buttress. You say, well, what does that mean then for the church to be a pillar and buttress? And just as a side note, I keep wanting to say the pillar and buttress of truth. It just sounds right. But you notice that it's, it's indefinite, that it's a pillar or buttress of truth. Um, that it's not the pillar, uh, but he says it's a pillar. And so you say, well, what does that mean? And it doesn't mean that the church is perfect or that the church is infallible. It doesn't mean that the, the church is an authority alongside the Bible, that you have the Bible and you have the church, and both are a stream of authority. 
It doesn't mean that the church continues to be the church if it casts down the truth and tramples it underfoot. Uh, that's an observation that Calvin made in his commentary that you think of it's supposed to be underneath the truth, supporting the truth, holding up the truth, but if it casts down the truth and tramples the truth, it goes from being a pillar to being something else. It goes from being the church to being something else. And that's why Paul in the book of Galatians 1 says that, that if anyone, even an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, he says, let him be accursed. Or what Jesus says in the book of uh, Revelation, that, that some churches had, had become synagogues of Satan, that, that they had become not churches at all, but essentially false churches. So this isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card for the church. So the church must be upholding the truth to be the truth. So it doesn't mean that the church is the authority. But you say, well, what does it mean then? Well, it means that the church then, as we consider the leadership of the church, the elders and deacons that Paul has been talking about in this chapter, the, the structure of the church, that the church is to study the word of God, the source of truth, the inerrant, infallible word of God. And it's to know it and understand it and proclaim it and teach it. The church is to guard the truth against falsehood, to say what is outside of what, what's contrary to the gospel, what's contrary to the teaching, to define between orthodoxy and heterodoxy, between truth and error, truth and falsehood. It's the, it's the role of the church then to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel. It says in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But how are they to hear unless someone is preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of the ones who preach the gospel. That, that's the ministry of the church, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. And uh, John Calvin in his commentary also says that the reason why the church is called the pillar of truth is uh, that she defends and spreads it by her agency. God does not himself come down from heaven to us, nor does he daily send angels to make known his truth, but he employs pastors whom he has appointed for that purpose. To express it in a more homely manner is not the church the mother of all believers. And there Paul, or, or, sorry, um, Calvin is drawing on this, this image that he uses often is that the church as the, the mother of believers God is the father of believers. It's joined from an early church father named Cyprian, who said famously that no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. And that was quoted by, by Calvin, by Luther, by all of the reformers. But we hear that and it makes us uncomfortable at first because we think, wait a second, are you saying that you're saved by faith in Christ and being part of a church? Is it, is it a means of salvation to be part of a church? Because there is a danger of exalting the church above the truth. And we see that in the history of the church, where the church sets itself up as an inerrant authority in and of itself. That was part of what the Protestant Reformation was facing, as the church that is, it exalted itself as the authority. It was saying, no, the authority is Scripture alone. And so, yes, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But yet... This high view of the church that we see from Cyprian, that we see from Calvin, that we see ultimately from Paul here, is he talks about the church as a pillar and buttress of truth. 
that this is the high view of the church that I think is lacking so often in our modern world. That people think of the church, and this is going back to the, the point about the church as a business, but I think people think about the church not as a pillar and buttress of truth, but more as a gym where you, you might go, you can work out at home, you can get exercise equipment at home, but you think, well, it's a good thing to join a gym. And if you really want to be serious about getting in shape, the accountability of people that you work out with or a trainer could be helpful. But if you're tired, don't worry about going. If the, the gym isn't providing what you think you need from it, don't worry about it. Stay home. As long as you're exercising, you can go to the gym or not because it's really about just being fit. That is what is important. The gym is optional, an optional means of accomplishing your purpose. And I think that's how people think about the church as well. I can read my Bible at home. I can pray at home. I can watch messages on the TV or on my computer. I can listen to podcasts. And so I can essentially maintain my own spiritual life individually. I mean, that's why, as I said at the beginning, that 65% of Protestants say that they can walk with God apart from other believers because we think, I can do it, and the church is helpful, but if it ceases to be helpful, then I can just abandon it and do my own thing. But that's not what we see from Paul here in our text. He says that the church is a pillar and buttress of truth. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, he says that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You say, how is the, the purposes of God made known? And according to Paul, it is through the church, which is why Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That the church wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't just a good idea to gather believers. It is Christ's idea. It's God's idea. He's building his church. I will build my church, that it is God's church. It is Christ's church. It is a pillar and buttress of truth. And that means that the church matters, which then means that church planting matters. That we do when we do evangelism, we're not just having individual con converts, but we're seeking to gather people around the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. That when we do, when we send out missionaries, so often that is done in church planting of raising up churches around the world. That means that church revitalization matters because the church matters. We want healthy churches. It means that church leadership matters. It means that the doctrine of the church, understanding how do we structure the church, how do we structure leadership, who should lead, what are their qualifications, that that matters. The worship of the church matters. The preaching of the church matters. The discipline of the church matters. The, the budgets of the church matter. The way that you serve the local church in small ways and big ways, it all matters. And it matters because the church is the family of God, the, the temple of God, the pillar and the buttress of truth. And then just the, the last thing that I'll leave you with, leave you with today is what is the truth that the church is called to support? If it is the pillar of truth, what is it lifting up? And ultimately, it's lifting up the teaching of Scripture. But what's the, the key? What is the heart of the teaching of Scripture? 
And it's the gospel. It's the, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished for us in coming on Christmas 2,000 years ago, living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death, rising again from the dead in victory over death, calling us to repent and to trust in him. And that's why Paul here in our text, he goes from talking about the church as the pillar, as a pillar of truth, holding up the truth to the world. And then he essentially launches into this creedal description of the church that we'll look at next time. Uh, in verse 16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What is the truth, the message that the church is called to lift up if it is going to be the church? That the church matters because it is proclaiming this mystery of godliness, that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the mystery of godliness. And Lord, we thank you for our Savior Jesus, that, that God was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. And Lord, we look for his return in the future. But today, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to value your church, that we would love your church, that we would not try to pretend that the church is perfect, not to see the imperfections of the church, not to see the failings of the church, uh, but Lord, that we would see that yet it is your church, that it is your bride, it is your family, it's your temple, that you are with us, that you are dwelling among us. And so Father, let us have commitment to our churches. And we pray that Lord, as you build your church and the, as the gates of hell don't prevail against it, uh, that you would help us to know that that what goes on in the church matters, that, that even for a small church like Hope Church matters, or a small gathering of believers the day after Christmas where so many are gone on vacation, that, that you would show that it matters that we are here, that we are gathered, and that you are going to use your church to proclaim the gospel to the nations, to lift up the truth. We pray, Father, that you would build up Hope Church as a pillar, that we would be one of many pillars of local churches in this region, that each of these pillars would not be pushing each other down, but that we could be one pillar here in Garnet Valley, lifting up the truth, that we could see many people brought under the truth, Lord, brought into the truth in Jesus. And so we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.